Hey Rebels, my name is Matthew Barton. Welcome to the Rebellion Brewing Podcast. Nitrogen fertilizer has been in the news a lot the last few weeks, and as a province with a huge agricultural footprint, this has huge implications for our economy and well-being. One thing I can't abide is a nuanced, complex discussion being flattened into bullshit political theater. But that seems to be exactly what's happening with the discussion around nitrogen fertilizer. Farmers deserve better. Taxpayers deserve better. Beer drinkers deserve better. Today I'm sitting down with Darren Qualman to talk about a recent nitrogen fertilizer report published by the National Farmers Union that doesn't descend into petty name-calling and dumb catchphrases. I read it and I want to understand it better, and I think you should too. So let's get into it. Darren, welcome to the show. Thank you, Matthew. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us about our report. I wanted to start off by saying, uh, who are you and what do you do? Give me that like ground level grade six intro. <laughs> Matthew, I work for the National Farmers Union, which is a national organization of uh, thousands of farmers and farm families across Canada. I am their director of climate crisis policy and action. So I am helping uh, farmers and governments understand how we can work together to maintain food production and viable livelihoods for farmers but at the same time, reduce greenhouse gas emissions from agriculture. That is a fairly ominous title. <laughs> what does it mean? What does a day look like for you? Well, we're a policy organization and the government of Canada has policy goals. Uh, most of your listeners will know that uh, Canada is committed to reduce emissions by 40% by 2030 and to reach near zero emissions by 2050. Now we're trying to help the government find ways that farmers can contribute to meeting those goals without causing any undue effects on the viability of farms and farm income. One of the problems is agricultural emissions are currently going up, not down. And the main reason agricultural emissions are going up isn't because farmers are using more fuel or because uh, cattle and other livestock or manure are producing more emissions. The main reason that agricultural emissions overall are going up is because emissions from nitrogen fertilizer are going up. And that's because the tonnage of nitrogen fertilizer is going up. So that's, uh, is that what inspired the nitrogen fertilizer report? That reality? Yeah, a little context on that. The federal government has been engaged for a while looking at ways to reduce emissions. And uh, about a year and a half ago, they came out with a target that we reduce emissions from nitrogen fertilizer by 30%. And a key distinction is that it's a target to reduce emissions, not tonnage. And that, you know, people have seen a lot of back and forth in the media because there's just been a lot of misinformation. Uh, it is completely possible to reduce emissions from the fertilizer without reducing the fertilizer tonnage itself. So you don't need to cut fertilizer use 
And anybody that's heard anyone talk about a fertilizer ban or forced reductions or mandatory reductions, none of that's true. It's about the emissions, not the tonnage. It's all voluntary. And not only that, it's behind it are hundreds of millions of dollars in incentive payments and cost sharing payments in order to get farmers to make the voluntary steps to reduce those emissions, to use fertilizer more efficiently and optimally and carefully so as to maintain yield, but at the same time reduce emissions from the systems that produce things like the barley that goes into beer. I like that finish. I like that ending. Barley that goes into beer. Okay. You said something there that I kind of twigged on and I wanted to revisit. The the distinction between tonnage versus uh, usage. Why are people promoting usage and making the connection to saying, well, if you want us to regulate nitrogen, we're going to have to use less nitrogen? Why, why are people saying this thing? Where is this coming from? I think people are trying to scare farmers uh, and scare the public and somehow just connect some dots that, that aren't really connected. They're saying, look, if we want to reduce emissions, the greenhouse gases coming out of agriculture from fertilizer, we'll have to reduce the fertilizer itself. And that means we reduce food output. And that means people go hungry. And for a whole lot of reasons, that's not true. But just starting at the beginning of that chain, we can reduce the emissions from fertilizer without reducing fertilizer use itself by placing the fertilizer in the right place, uh, under the ground, under the surface of the ground, rather than on, on the surface on top, uh, by putting it in the field in the spring instead of in the previous fall so that it doesn't get wet when the snow melts because that's a time of a lot of emissions. And there are additives that we can put into fertilizer. Uh, the technical names are nitrification and urease inhibitors and, and coatings. Uh, those fact, those uh, enhanced efficiency fertilizers, those coatings and inhibitors alone could deliver most of the 30% reduction. So same amount of fertilizer, same amount of crop, but up to 30% less emissions. And at the same time, using fertilizer more efficiently and carefully and maybe getting more crop out of the same fertilizer. But, you know, there's real potential here to increase farmers' margins as fertilizer is used more efficiently and optimally. I had a farmer, a barley guy, wheat guy, coming. He would sit down having a pint with me at the tap room, and he said the new fertilizer comes in these pellets that are wrapped in a polymer. And he said the polymer breaks down later, which means the fertilizer stays on the ground instead of off gassing or evaporating or I, I don't know what the technical term is, but he said basically it stays there in the field so he doesn't have to apply more and he can be more efficient. Yeah. The, the coatings on the fertilizer are designed to keep that fertilizer there in place and not be interacting with the chemistry and the biology until later because it's later that the crop is growing faster and it's later that the crop really needs the fertilizer. When, when the seed first goes in the ground and the fertilizer goes in the ground, it's just a tiny little seed. It's not really growing. It's not really taking up fertilizer yet. The fertilizer is there and there's a potential for a lot of emissions. So by delaying the release of that fertilizer, 
Uh, just, but just a couple of caveats. We're working with the government to make sure those coatings are benign. We want to make sure that there's no plastic in there. We want to make sure that in solving the emissions problem, we don't create some sort of microplastics contamination problem. So it's it's very complicated. We want to make sure we don't get any of the trade-offs wrong. That would be very terrible to have microplastic contamination in the field. I mean, that's obvious to me anyways. <laughs> When we see what's happening with oceans, I, I wouldn't want to see that happening to Saskatchewan fields. <laughs> so we know nitrogen use increases yield. We know it's expensive to use nitrogen. There was something I was reading, and I wanted you to maybe clarify this with me. Uh, a farmer was he had written this article, and he said too much nitrogen use affects the health of the soil or it affects the the ecosystem of the soil which necessitates more uh, nitrogen use because the soil is unhappy or unhealthy is what was he talking about there is is this part of the report Matthew, it, I don't want to stray too far out of my area of expertise and soil science is its own very very knowledge intensive area and i know nitrogen additions can have some very beneficial effects they can help build carbon faster of course they increase yield and they can also have some some detrimental effects certainly if over applied but i'll just go a little beyond your question it's not just the soil that can be affected if nitrogen is used in too large quantities nitrogen is perhaps the most active and essential thing that we put into the biosphere it is in everything it affects plant growth it affects the acidity of ecosystems it affects what species are present in an ecosystem uh, it gets into groundwater through leaching it gets into surface water it can cause algal blooms it can cause dead zones in oceans it can cause smog destroy ozone climate warming and and it does those things if overused and the benefits are also many and of course i mentioned it increases yields and helps feed people so what we're trying to do is we're trying to strike a balance we're trying to find the balance where we get the maximum benefit but that we don't over apply it and trigger more of those negative impacts than necessary that to me sounds like what the report was talking about when they said optimization um, That's right. Can, can we dig into that a bit? Sure. I'll, I'll, I'll start with maximization and then I'll talk about optimization. Where we are right now is we're in a maximization mindset. And partly it's driven by government policy. So if Canada, if, if Canadian agriculture has a prime directive, it is this, maximize exports. If farmers are producing $20 million in agri-food exports, the government sets a target for 40. When we reach 40, it's 75. We just reached 75 and now it's 95. It's this treadmill, maximize exports. The problem is maximize exports translates down the line into maximize production. And that translates into maximize input use. And that turns into maximize emissions. And what we're saying to the government is, we can't keep doubling and redoubling uh, input use. Uh, in Saskatchewan, where I am and where I farmed previously, fertilizer use here since the 1980s has quadrupled. 
a very, very steep increase in the use of fertilizer. And that's driven the, the increase in emissions that we talked about before. So we are currently on a, a, a set of, of goals and imperatives where we maximize use, but we need to optimize that. Uh, we need to use fertilizer as carefully and efficiently and optimally as possible. And as I mentioned, things like more soil testing, very carefully matching the amount of fertilizer we put in to the amount that's removed through crops and keeping the excess fertilizer that might accumulate the excess nitrogen and phosphorus that might accumulate in that soil down to a minimum so that it doesn't make its way out of the field and into the atmosphere or surface water or groundwater. Uh, we, we, this is a very bioactive substance. We are using a lot of it and we need to really use it as carefully as we can. You, you said something there that uh, they keep doubling targets or raising targets. They're chasing growth. Growth is the, the virtue or the, the primary value. I often see people saying growth needs to be balanced with uh, sustainability. If you, if you run a horse too fast that it breaks its leg, then you've got a horse that can't do anything. <laughs> You know, but if you treat the horse well and you take care of it, you don't push it too hard, it won't break its leg, you can go further. And is that kind of what you're talking about? Is is that what this report's about? Yeah, we're calling into question this growth imperative because farmers have been forced into this bit of a vicious cycle, vicious circle. Farmers are producing more and more. The crop yield is getting larger. The farms are getting larger. Productivity is increasing. And that's largely because of inputs. Uh, inputs such as fertilizer, chemicals, etc. But those same inputs then are extracting most of the wealth that farmers are producing, such that farmers produce a dollar of output, but they might only get to keep three or five cents out of that dollar and the other 95 or 97 cents is captured by the input makers so their margins get smaller so what then farmers are urged to do if your margins are smaller produce more well how do you produce more well you have to purchase more inputs so the inputs are part of the problem in that an over-reliance uh, you know a maximization a non-optimal use of inputs tends to reduce the margins, but then farmers are told a solution to that is use more of those very same inputs to produce more. So it's a treadmill. And that's something we really talk about in the report. As long as farmers are kept on this treadmill where inputs reduce margins and the solution is to use more inputs to produce more product, as long as farmers are kept on that treadmill of needing to produce ever more, emissions will keep going up. And we need to we need to restructure the system such that farmers can uh, back off from that treadmill, optimize use, and yet still find stable and adequate incomes. That was going to be my next question: is if we're going to ask farmers to hold the line on yields to find a balance, how do we make sure there's money in their pocket? Um, like, how do we tell someone, "Hey, pass on that"? potential dollar you know maybe don't go to hawaii this year <laughs> don't buy that new truck this year wait a couple more years you know that's that i i can't rationalize in my brain yet uh telling someone to pass on a paycheck 
the farmers that produce barley and other crops and, and livestock, et cetera, are, are, are squeezed very hard by the system. And we think that governments and farmers need to work together as we move toward these emission reduction targets and, and a near zero emission system in 2050, a lot of things are gonna have to change. And as we make those changes to reduce emissions, we can also make changes in the, the financial structure of agriculture. Right now, the primary decision makers in the system and the primary beneficiaries of the system, the people that are getting 95 to 97 cents out of every dollar of, of wealth that farmers create, they're the agribusiness corporations. They're the fertilizer companies, the chemical companies, the seed companies, the machinery companies, et cetera. And those companies have really positioned themselves to extract millions, billions, trillions of dollars out of the system. We think that as we change the system, reduce emissions, we can also change it to make the system less input dependent. And then that'll make it harder for these corporations to extract their money. Some of your listeners might know that right now, fertilizer prices are near record highs or at record highs. Fertilizer company profits are also at record highs. The extraction of wealth is, is phenomenal. And so we think that a whole suite of interconnected synergistic solutions can be brought to bear to make the system less input dependent because it's really the inputs going into the system that create the emissions coming out. And if you want a low emission food system, you have to have a low input food system. And that's a message we keep taking to government that farmers farmed for 10,000 years and they did so with zero inputs and they also had no net emissions. They didn't affect the, the atmosphere or the climate. And then over the last hundred years, as we pushed more and more inputs in, we've pushed more and more emissions out. And it's very, very clear that the quantity of emissions coming out of the system is a function of the inputs we're pushing in. So to reduce emissions, you have to reduce inputs. And that input reduced agriculture can be, if managed properly, it can be a higher margin, better net income situation for farmers. We make the case, or you made the case for farmers, put more money in farmers' pockets. How do we convince politicians that some of these insights, some of these pieces from the report are worth taking on or worth that fight? Well, that's what we do. That's we're a policy organization. We're trying to bring that message uh, in. We're trying to help politicians connect the dots and get rid of the contradictions. So we're trying to get them to think about really what are the big changes that are going to be needed in, in agriculture and other systems as we move past 2030 and toward 2050. And we're trying to get them to do that in ways that, that maintain farm income. And we're trying to get them to understand that some of the things they're doing undercut some of the other things they're doing. So the export maximization goal makes it harder to reach the emissions reduction goal. And we're trying to do all of this in ways that maintains food security and, and uh, you know, the amount of food that we need to feed people. And that's the other half. You asked earlier about sort of how this all connects up. You know, how do emissions connect to fertilizer tonnage and how does that connect to food output, et cetera. And the people spreading misinformation want us to believe that lower emissions is going to mean lower food and people are going to go hungry. But the other side of that equation also isn't well understood. 
we do use fertilizer to increase yields and output, but then we use a lot of that fertilizer expanded output unwisely. We in Canada waste about 40% of the food we produce uh, worldwide, the number is about 30%. We feed a lot more into biofuels systems where we just burn it up in vehicles that maybe don't need to be going where they're going. There's a lot of uh, commuting that maybe could be replaced, you know, could be accomplished in other ways. We turn a lot of food tonnage into nutritionally disfigured, denutritionalized junk food that, you know, gives us uh, a lot of health problems if overconsumed. We feed a lot to pigs and chickens and other livestock that, you know, grain feeding is not very efficient. It turns about five to 10 calories of grain into one or two calories of meat. So uh, there's just a lot of things we're doing with that fertilizer enhanced food supply that we don't need to be doing. And as we use the food output more carefully and optimally, then we get off this treadmill where we constantly have to produce more and more. Well, if you're, I'm, I'm going to play an idiot right now. If you tell me we're not going to be grain feeding animals, are you telling me that we're going to have to all eat tofu or are you telling me go buy grass fed? We're not going to stop doing that. Um, and, and there, you know, there, there is, for instance, in some years, grain that is damaged by weather, et cetera, and it, it turns into feed grain. You know, if, in terms of barley, the best barley goes for beer, uh, malting barley. I used to grow that or try to grow that. But in years where the weather didn't cooperate or something went wrong, I didn't get malting barley. I had feed barley, and that would go to, to feed livestock. So there's, there's always a certain amount of frozen wheat or off-quality barley, et cetera, that probably is going to find a home uh, in grain feeding and but that needs to be of a certain scale and we shouldn't just keep maximizing that and feeding you know top quality grain you know corn etc uh, to these animals so no we don't have to eat tofu and the other thing of course is in addition to just you know optimizing that grain feeding and maybe reducing it uh, grazing is fantastic you know grazing animals on biodiverse grassland that's that's a really important way to maintain those grasslands so uh, we, we can maintain meat consumption, but we need to make good choices about how we make that meat. If someone's listening to this podcast, say they're a farmer or a beer drinker, what big takeaway, what, if you, they could take away one thing from this report, what would you want them to know? Don't be afraid of change. I started farming, uh, in the 1980s. I was a kid in the seventies and started farming in the eighties. And anybody that's old enough to remember the 80s and 90s and, and looks at those farms with the way they use discers and tillage and the way they seeded and there was summer fallow. And just if they think about that compared to today, just all the change that has taken place in the last 30, 40 years. Going into the next 30 or 40 years, we're going to have that quantity of change again as we deal with the need to, uh, you know, our intersection with planetary limits on greenhouse gas emissions, et cetera. And just as we made changes in agriculture that maintained farm income and maintained output and all of that, we can do that again as we grapple with the next set of changes. So the, the model we have now isn't going to be the model 30 or 40 years ago, just as the model we had 40 years ago isn't the one we have in 2022. 
And if we work together and, and sort of take control of that change, you know, farmers need to lead this. They need to help take control of this and work with government. Because if we don't lead it, if we say, whoa, we're not going to we're not going to participate or, or be part of this change, someone else is going to do it. And that won't be as good for us. You're saying to farmers, take the reins, take control, have a say, be at the table. If you're not at the table, you're what's for lunch. Sure. Yeah. Take an interest, uh, be engaged, keep an open mind. Remember that this is a sector that changes quite dramatically over a generation or two. And if we make good choices and, and, and keep an open mind, we can create an agriculture in 20, in the 2030s and 2050s that, that is better, more diverse. The margins are better. And, and maybe we can reverse some of the other pathologies within the system. You know, we're, we're losing family farms very, very rapidly. Maybe we can arrest that decline and the concentration of land ownership, et cetera. So there's a whole number of things that, that if we engage, we can maybe just solve simultaneously. If somebody wants to actually read this report or find out more about what you do, or maybe they want to get in touch with you and, and pick your brain, where should they go? Our website is nfu.ca, www.nfu.ca. And as soon as you go there, you'll see a big blue button that says climate and just click there, you'll find the report. And we really urge people to read this report. This is a big picture report. It's written in a very accessible way. Parts of it were peer reviewed by some of the world's leading experts on nitrogen. It takes a, a civilizational view. It sort of looks at how nitrogen leads to the, the, the cities and the economies we have today, how it's a really critical part of agriculture. But then it also looks at the, the negative effects as well and balances that negative and positive and then talks about the transformative changes we might make. So it goes way beyond the current debate in the media about whether we can or cannot meet this 30% target. It's, it, we think it's a much more interesting look at what is essentially one of the two most important things happening in the world. Carbon and carbon fuels are one, and nitrogen and nitrogen fertilizer are the other. Very, very important parts of our civilization. Well, Darren, I, I want to thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Matthew. Thanks for having me on. Rebels, thanks for listening today. If you have any questions or comments about this episode, be sure to join us on our brand new Facebook group page, The Rebellion Brewing Podcast. I'm going to include links to all things NFU in the show notes, including the report. Be sure to check it out. I've read it. I think it's really interesting. You might take something away that you didn't catch in the podcast. I'm also proud to let you know that we're members of the Saskatchewan Podcast Network. It's a one-stop shop for tons of locally produced shows from across our province. You can find them at saskpodcastnetwork.com. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Untapped so you don't miss out on the latest in Sask Craft Beer news. Thank you for joining the Rebellion. <laughs>